This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Last fall, Dave and I had two fantastic moments on two different rivers in two different states at two different times of year. Notice I said fantastic moments, not fantastic days. Oh yeah, the days are fantastic, but that's because of the two moments when we had strikes on every cast and landed one fish after another. One of those moments was on the Yellowstone River in Yellowstone National Park. The other was on a little spring creek in southeast Minnesota. Here is what those moments had in common. We were catching trout on a mergers. That is, patterns that imitate an insect when it's changing from its larva stage into a fly that, well, flies, the adult stage. And that's what we're going to talk about today, hoping that it will help you catch more trout on emergers. Dave, what do you remember about that first experience last September in Yellowstone? As you mentioned, the whole day was great, and but we did not have a day in which we were catching a lot of fish. And if I remember that correctly, we may have each caught three to five at that point. Maybe you had caught a few more than I had, and we were fishing I'm sure streamers. I did. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like you always do. I tell you what, you were though. I, as, if I remember, you had you probably caught three or four more than I did. But you were fishing streamers, yeah. and I was doing nymphs. Was I euro nymphing? I don't think so on that day. I can't I remember. remember. They all run together, don't they? They do, because we had two really good days uh, on the Yellowstone on that same stretch. But it, it wasn't one of those days where it was a 20-fish day. I don't even think it was. It wasn't a 10-fish day. But we had caught enough to where it was satisfying. Of course, you're on the Yellowstone, blue skies. And we were walking back. And I think that day we put on close to somewhere between 7 and 8 miles. So we were pretty tired. We had about two miles to go or maybe a mile and a half to go. And we're walking on the trail back. And often we never stop at this place because often we'll stop going out maybe at this little place. It's a, there's a big rock and the current swirls into kind of a little bowl. And, and it looks like it's a really great place to fish. And you can see it's right along the trail. It probably gets fished pretty hard. Yeah, and that's so, a problem. Yeah, exactly. So it was about the end of the day for us, which was about 3.30, 4 o'clock. It was on our hike out, as I mentioned. And, and suddenly, and so I think what happened is you and I said, hey, let's just stop here. And you started fishing streamers. I think you actually had the initial strike. You had one on a streamer. And, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to switch to dry flies here. So I put on a dry fly rig, but I dropped an emerger, uh, basically, a, I think it was, a, it was like a BWO emerger, but it was probably, gosh, I don't even know what it was. It wasn't a Comparadon or Sparkle Dunn, but it was, maybe it was even just a, um, like a hair's ear, right? Mm -hmm. And it was, so it's not even a full emerger. It was more like a, you know, uh a larva but i i didn't drop it very far i probably dropped it six inches but suddenly the trout were rising and, I, and and really there was a betas hatch going on and so i caught some on the parachute atoms on top of the surface i think you did too but quite a few of them were on the dropper and we had fished just beneath the surface and 
and it, and I remember I had to go to a dropper because I I, w- I think I caught one or two on a on a, just a straight dry fly, and then I stopped catching them. So the key during a blue wing olive hatch like that or a betas hatch is if you're going to fish a mergers is to get the size right. And so I had to go down a size. If I remember right, they were rising for about 30 minutes and then they stopped. Do you remember right. that? Oh, yeah. It was just for time. You could see them just swarming, uh, you know, underneath the surface and kind of rolling and, and uh yeah, I think that was one of the, the clues too. And yeah, I, I remember too the ones I caught were mainly on a little merger that we dropped off of a off a yeah, dry fly. I think I had a parachute Adams or whatever it was. But yeah, yeah, that was that was amazing, amazing so, moment. Yeah, again, moment. So thirty minutes out of how many di- hours did we fish? I mean, nine, ten hours that day. It was yeah. thirty minutes, and and we caught a ton of fish in that moment ton i won't say a ton maybe five to eight fish nine fish during that moment each during that 30 minutes and then it was done and i remember when it was done it was done it was done it was done and we thought well all right so we got back on the trail and and went back uh back to where we were at the trailhead so steve you had a similar moment uh when we were fishing this little spring creek in minnesota yeah, one of our favorite little spring creeks in the Driftless, and, and I did something I rarely do. I planted myself in one run, and every so often, and the reason I didn't leave is because every so often the fish just went crazy, but I was going crazy too because I couldn't catch them. It was just maddening, uh, but what made the difference was seeing fish coming up from the deep and then darting or rolling, but not really breaking the surface. Sometimes they're their, their fins would, but I, I, got, I realized, you know, they're feeding on stuff that's emerging. They're not feeding on adults that are floating on the surface. Uh, they're below the surface, maybe even right in the film, but I, I dropped a nymph off my dry fly, and I, I can't remember. I, I remember looking to see if I had one without a bead head, because I'm such a bead head uh, person, but might have just, you know, even a size 18 doesn't, uh, you know, sink that quick. So uh, I had a pretty tiny emerger on, and man, I ended up catching probably 75, 80% of, of the trout that I caught on that nymph. And every time, uh, yeah, it was, it was like you talked about in the Yellowstone, only it seemed like it was only for five or 10 minutes, and then it would stop for 20, and then. Then it would start up again. It just kept doing that all day. And every, you know, finally, when I figured it out, uh, then I made the most of those five or ten minutes. For a while, it was frustrating. That was an odd run, by by the way. Yeah. That that whole, it, it's a, it's like there's this run that goes into this bend in the in the creek, and it's really deep. I mean, I don't know yeah. how deep that thing is. And it swirls. It has kind of the toilet bowl bowl swirl in it, yep. and it's just an it, it creates an odd drift. But I re, what I remember about that day is, I would go upriver, I'd go downriver, and you'd be still at that run, and I'm like, man, this is so odd, yeah. you know. But you were catching fish, and I would come down and you'd say, hey, Dave, take a drift through here. But I wouldn't have the same success that you did. I, it was odd for me. That was, a, I mean, I caught a couple out of that run, but you caught probably 10 or 15 out of that run, if I remember right. Yeah, but I think it was because, again, it was like these five to 10 minute windows. And, 
you know, I'd catch them and you'd come back, hey, give it a try and nothing. Well, I wasn't catching them either. It would just, it would just stop. Yeah. I love the way that you started this whole thing about fantastic moments. And because they are short stretches of time. For that, yeah. it was five to ten minutes. For my time in the Yellowstone, or our time in the Yellowstone, it was 30 minutes. That's it. Yeah. I know. It happens so often. And I think what I've learned is if, if I'm just fishing with an emerger, uh, it's, just, it's just better off to, to do that. Have some kind of an emerger at the dropped off of your uh, dry fly and... If, if you do that, then you can make the most of those moments. I've, I've had that happen on the Boulder River in Montana a few times where like it would start raining lightly, and then all of a sudden the river would come to life, and 10 minutes later it's done. And if you're trying to tie uh, an emerger on, uh, especially the way I do it, it may take you <laughs> a few minutes by the time yeah, you're ready to go, the window's done. So why don't we do this? Let's make sure that we're clear on what an emerger is. We know that we have a number of listeners that are new fly fishers, and we love that. So what in the world is an emerger? Well, it's the second of four basic stages of flies. So you have your nymph stage, you have the emerger stage, that's the second one that we'll talk about. Uh, the done stage, that's the first adult stage and then the spinner and that's your fully formed adult and so an emerger is a fly that is on its way to uh, the surface uh, technically an emerger pattern imitates the, that stage of insect when it's caught in the film uh, that layer on the surface that's hard for an insect to break through uh, what we're calling a layer or, or film is actually surface tension but Insects get stuck there as they're morphing from a larva to a done stage, and thus a lot of emerger patterns are dry flies. Uh, that's why the parachute atoms work so well. It, it imitates that last stage of emergence uh, rather than the done stage where a fly is riding high on the water as an adult. Now, one, one thing I should say, though, I, I probably use the term emerger a little bit more uh, broadly, and, and I think that day I was catching... And that day on that creek in the driftless, I was catching trout that were not just uh, feeding on know, emergers that were caught right in the film, but it was kind of in that last foot or so. Of the water column. Yeah, maybe it's because it was in that deep pool, but uh, I mean, I could see some of them. They, they were feeding on stuff that was a foot below uh, the surface. So that, that's why, uh, while technically uh, a small beadhead nymph, some of those patterns are not technically emerger patterns. They kind of function that way. Yes, if you're if you've only if you only have it, let's say six to eight inches off your your top fly, and that's that's where it's sitting beneath the surface, that far down, and they're rolling, they'll yeah. see that and hit that. Yep, exactly. Dave, uh, we often use words like blue winged olives, BWOs, and then betas interchangeably. Is that yeah, help us help us think about that. Help me think about that. Sometimes those are those terms can be really confusing if you're a new fly fisher. Well, people do use betas and blue winged olives interchangeably. Interchangeably, so they'll say there was a betas hatch, uh, and they'll also say and the BWOs that day were really hitting, and they're saying the exact same thing. They're not quite the exact same thing. There are many types of blue winged olives. There's not 
one single type of blue-winged olive. And a, and a blue-winged olive is a mayfly, obviously. There's just many types of, of BWOs. And, but they're all part of the genus Betis, which is a larger category of mayfly. So in a sense, all BWOs are Betis. And, and so you can use those two interchangeably. You know, I'm sure there are some precisionists among us that would want to argue. But in general, you're saying betas, you're saying BWOs. In general, you're kind of saying the exact same thing. So the key, I think, when you're fishing these is not a perfect pattern of a BWO because a parachute atoms, of course, can uh, do that. It's, not, it's kind of that general pattern that fits a lot of different mayflies. So there's not merely one kind of blue-winged olive. So, so whether you're fishing in a merger, as we've discussed, or a dry fly on the surface, either as a dun or as a spinner, there isn't a perfect necessarily. Like you're going to try to find the, the one that's actually emerging. No, you're, you're so right about that. It, it really, it, I agree. I think size is the key. And, and that's why often... Parachute atoms works fine, and it's it's not changing that to another pattern. It's usually going down a or going up a size, and that makes all the difference. But Dave, beyond I mean, we talked about a parachute atoms. That's a great all-around uh, pattern. It, it works. Uh, uh, imitate a mayfly done. But what other uh, you know what other patterns might work as as an emerger? Uh, yeah, besides uh, yeah, it could be a BWO or could yeah. be parachute atoms, but what else? Craig Matthews popularized the sparkle done pattern. Craig Matthews is the uh, you know great legendary fly fisher from West Yellowstone and has the fly shop. Isn't it Blue Ribbon Flies? Blue Ribbon Flies. Yeah, and uh, and we've seen him there in the fly shop before. He I think he's probably in his early seventies and. But he popularized the uh, the sparkle dun pattern. That's a popular choice. Uh, and I think another one is the the comparadun is another one uh, that people use that can be used as an emerger. Anything else? No, I think those are the main ones. I mean, you you keep going on, but uh, yeah, one of those patterns is going to work. And uh, again, it's it's. Uh, They'd say, well, it's a done pattern. Isn't that the third stage? Well, yeah, but but they're sitting right there in the film, and it kind of resembles a fly that's been trapped. And, you know, especially in the spring, it's hard for trout to break through the film on colder days, and uh, the, the cold just seems to increase the surface tension. So that's why we talk about, yeah, the film is, is thicker. But those... Uh, this mayfly is just that hard time getting through. So that's why those patterns work really well. And breakthrough is also harder in slower water. That's why emergers, whether dry fly patterns or nymphs, often work well in riffles uh, or rough water. Uh, that kind of water breaks the, the surface film. All right. So let's talk strategy. What are you going to use and how are you going to fish it? You just mentioned about fishing the boulder and often if there's a light rain you know just a couple clouds come over there's a few drops of rain all of a sudden it triggers a you know a hatch so I think the key is depending on the river often I will fish uh, a dry fly on top and an emerger pattern all day long 
and and sometimes you catch other fish even if there's a hatch not going. I know there's a hatch not going on. You catch other fish. So so if you're using a dry fly immersion pattern like a sparkle dun or a comparadun, consider if that's only what you're fishing. Consider letting it sink if you're watching trout feed, but they are not feeding if they're not feeding flies on the surface. So you might be just fishing. Let's say you're just fishing an immersion that's that's sitting in the film, but then then as it, as the drift goes it starts to sink and i think it's okay to let it sink if they're if they're not hitting anything on the surface and that's often a time when you start to catch fish so i guess the point is you're you're trying to focus on uh, catching fish that are feeding on insects that are that are on their ascent or getting close to the surface but whether you're using a nymph or an actual uh, a merger pattern now how about specific strategies? We, we said, okay, there, there's a couple of options. Uh, you you could use a dry fly, a merger. You could use a standard dry fly pattern, and and the a merger on the back of that will be another, will be like a comparadun or a sparkle dun. Or uh, you could, off of your dry fly, drop a, uh, some kind of a soft tackle or a, yeah. you know, a really tiny uh, nymph. It's not gonna, it's not gonna float to the bottom by any means but now how how about uh strategies how do you how do you fish these just just let them drift or or what so if you're using a dry fly a merger pattern like a sparkle done or a comparadun consider letting it sink if you're watching the trout feed but they're not actually feeding on the surface you you notice that you're not seeing the noses come up and take the fly so if you're fishing a sparkle dun or a comparadun, I would just really allow that thing as it drifts to sink, and and that could be really really effective depending on on the situation. I'm so prone to oh my fly my dry fly is sinking a little bit. I got to pull it right in and and you know, get the water off of it and put it in the you know the the what do you call the stuff that we use? It's kind of that floating shape. If yeah, and that that may be legitimate if you are uh, using an attractor pattern. But if there's a hatch going on, and your fly uh, sinks a little bit, that might even be the ticket to get a trout to hit it. So yeah, no worries about that. Maybe another thing you could say is if you're fishing your emerger below the surface, like as a dropper on a dry fly. Uh, let it swing when you reach the end of your drift. And, and that swing happens when the line goes tight and you start to uh, strip it back in. But do that very gently, just for a moment, when it gets to the end. And that'll just swing it around in the current. Sometimes that's where you'll get a strike there as well. And right at that moment, sometimes just slightly lifting up the tip of your rod will they'll hit it so you have the swing and right at the end of the swing you just let your rod you bring your rod tip up just very slowly before you start to strip it back sometimes right then you get you know they'll just nail it yeah it's funny it's almost the kind of technique you'd use if you were uh, stripping streamers isn't it totally it's odd it's just odd the the thing you learn the more you fly fish is all these rules that you're told early on you have to break them it's almost like when you learn to write right you learn to write when you uh you know in elementary school and then you go to middle school and high school and you learn to write and then you realize you know what i those were all rules that were meant to be broken 
And it's almost the same with fly fishing. You do have to learn the rules and, you know, some things because you start to catch fish. But then you realize a lot of these things, even the types of flies you use on certain situations, sometimes there's no rules. <laughs> no, no, that's very true. So what would you say, Dave, is the, the big takeaway in all of this? Just to concentrate on keeping your fly just below the surface if they're not hitting something on the surface, if you find you're frustrated, and this is again breaking the rule, right, for, for a new fly fisher, the first set of flies you get typically as a new fly fisher are, are dry flies. And you have this idea in your mind that if the fish are rising, that it's time to put the dry fly on. Well, sometimes it's not. So I think if you start to get frustrated that there's a hatch going on and they're not hitting your dry fly, either put on a emerger pattern only or just simply add a dropper six to eight inches depending on you know your situation, put on, a, put on a, an emerger pattern. Yeah, and to underscore what you said, we're talking about situations where feeding trout won't hit a dry fly. I mean, That's if you don't right. see anything, uh, then either switch to a different kind of a tractor, dry fly if you're stubborn like I am sometimes, or you may have to go back to, to nymphing or stripping streamers. But yeah, we're talking about situations where these are feeding trout. You're seeing them. Uh, you're, you're even. It looks like they're feeding even on the surface. Uh, well, uh, yeah, let that let that fly sink a little bit. That's that's a great uh, that's great advice. Oh, and Dave, the other thing that you mentioned too that's important is is that whenever you're dry fly fishing, make sure that you are dropping something else off of your uh, dry fly. Now, yeah, yeah, okay, if, if you're on a day when there's nothing happening and you're fishing, uh, you know, an elk or caddis or some big attractor pattern, that, that's one thing. But if you're going through the day and occasionally, uh, occasionally, wow, fish are really starting to feed and then they, then they quit for a while, well, make sure that you have some sort of a dropper on, whether, again, that's a... Uh, that's a comparison off of your dry fly or whether it's uh, a nymph below the surface. Just make sure that you have that uh, because when that five or ten minute window comes, man, you, you want to be ready. I think if you are thinking, you know what, I don't have a comparison or a sparkle done in my uh, fly box. I mean, you should just Google it. And I, my guess is that Blue Ribbon Fly still has those, I imagine. And, um, oh, yeah. And I mean, the Comparadon and the Sparkledon are common patterns, but it would be good to have, gosh, five to ten of those in your fly box. If you can't yeah. tie them, just go ahead and purchase them. And those of you who tie, obviously, can, can match that. But it's so wonderful when you can reach inside your fly box, and, yeah. and it works. There's just nothing as wonderful as that. Absolutely. So what we've tried to do today is to help you think of a different category one category is, okay, I'm going to fish on the bottom. That's where my nymphs are going to tumble along, or I'm going to strip streamers, and I'm going to let them sink, and I'm going to retrieve those, and I'm really fishing the bottom. The other is, okay, I'm going to dry fly, I'm, I'm right on the surface, and trout are going to see that go up and take it. But what we're saying is, yeah, there's also this other window when those nymphs begin to... Uh, make their way to the surface, and then they they uh, uh, end up uh, you know trapped in that surface film. So in between the surface, in between the bottom, there's a lot that's going on, 
and you want to take that into account. All right, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. Uh, a while back, we received this comment from Cowboy Bob on our episode titled Top 10 Fly Fishing Lessons of the Year. And this is what Cowboy Bob wrote. He said, Greetings from Denver. I borrowed an idea from quarterbacks and baseball players who have plays and many scouting reports on their wrists or tucked inside their caps. I check the fish cast report each week and put a sticky note in my cap detailing recommended flies for the river I'm fishing. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> that, is, that is a really good idea. I, I suppose you could get those, uh, uh, those wrist uh, things that quarterbacks have. You know, they're, they're kind of like a little compartment where you put a driver's license. You yeah. Those day and then, yeah. That's and something you, know, you would get. Report there. <laughs> Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. That's something I would do, right? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but, you know, that's a good point. And maybe what we ought to do is just stop for a moment and say, okay, where can you get that kind of intel? Because that's a, I mean, that's a terrific idea. Cowboy Bob is really onto something. You've got to have a way to get intel, but then to have it with you when you're on the river. So where do you get that intel, Dave? Well, for us, every fly shop we go to typically has a uh, a whiteboard, and they have the river flows uh, for all the major rivers around them, and they have typically you know patterns that are working. That's true in the Driftless. That's true in Montana. So if you make the stop right before uh, you head into the you know head out to the river, you make a stop at a fly shop. That's a great place to find that that information. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, fly shop websites are, are good. I really like to compare these if there are several shops in the area. And and I kind of look for patterns, uh, no, no pun intended. I mean, I, I look for the same information because, uh, well, sometimes fly shops don't always update their websites. But yeah. if, you see, <laughs> if you see three or four websites saying, hey, this is what they're, this is what they're feeding on, then, then you know that you're, uh, you're okay. Um, I suppose other fly fishers, especially the ones that you know and trust, but uh, yeah, that's one side of it. Uh, you've got to get good intel, and then, hey, if, if it helps, to uh, write it on a sticky note, put it in your cap, or uh, or do something more elaborate, do whatever it takes, right? Yeah, that's great. That's a nice little hack. Yep, it really is. Well, that's going to be all for today. Hey, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys on a River. For the love of fly fishing. <laughs>